this late night FM music over the front of it. QAV. <laughs> Call now. Welcome to the QAV podcast. My name is Cameron Riley. With me, uh, getting his cues wrong, is uh, Tony Kynaston. Still down at Cape Shank. Uh, obviously, too much golfing got in the way of uh, his remembering how to do a podcast. How are you, Tony? <laughs> I'm good. Do you remember those 0055 ads that came on late at night on TV back in the 80s? Yeah, that's exactly what this is all about, man. This is uh, <laughs> called Cameron and Tony for a good time. <laughs> um, well, me for a good time. Uh, oh, that, that soundtrack is so funny. I know. Right. So um, uh, just, to, just to remind everyone, thanks for tuning in. Uh, if this is your first time listening to the show, uh, don't take anything you hear on here as financial advice. We're not financial advisors. Go get a financial advisor before you do any investment. We're just uh, trying to teach a bit of financial literacy. Tony is a professional profe- – would you call yourself a professional investor? What do you call yourself? Yeah, professional investor yeah. with decades of experience, self-made millionaire, very, very good at what he does. He's developed a methodology over decades that works. And the purpose of this podcast is Tony is teaching me, a complete idiot, how he does what he does, and you get to listen in. But So it's about financial literacy – it's not financial advice. What we do typically is we talk a little bit about sort of financial industry news that Tony's been paying attention to. And then later on, uh, particularly for the premium episodes, the QAV Club members will do a deep dive into the financials of a company that's listed on the Australian Stock Exchange and run it through Tony's system. So with all of that out of the way... Uh, we should give a shout out, Tony, to people joining us from Alan Kohler's uh, weekend update from about a week ago. Uh, how did that come about? Well, I've been a long-term subscriber, long-time subscriber to Alan's various different emails. I think the first one was called the Eureka Report, uh, and then that was bought by I think News Corp, and he left and started up uh, another one called the Constant Investor, which I also subscribed to. And then that was bought out recently by InvestSmart. So that's where he now resides. So I've been a long-term listener to his podcast and also reading his emails. And he puts out a really good email every Saturday morning on what's happened in the week and his take on the economy or even politics sometimes and investment trends or business news. And at the end of that, he always includes a list of things he's found during the week, and he calls it things something like research and diversions, and he might put some music clips in there or some film clips or interesting articles about technology or whatever. And, uh, yeah, so I wrote to him and said, look, we started a podcast, have a listen, and if you wouldn't mind, include it in your research and diversions. And he was very happy to. So very happy to, uh, to uh, have that happen for us and uh, really blown away by his generosity to do it for us. And also blown away by his generosity to come on and be interviewed next week with us as well. Yeah, that's great. I'm looking forward to having a chat with him. Yes. Um, are you recording in your cavernous living room again? Or <laughs> dining am, room? Yes. Dining room. I am, yeah. Mm. Should, should have got you to get a, a towel. The thing is you get a, a, a bath towel and you put it over your head and over the mic. 
And we'll breathe in some Vicks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you can do that at the same time, yeah. But it would dampen the... Uh, it sounds like you're uh, sitting on the Iron Throne in Westeros right now. With Well, how do you know I'm not, mate? This is an audio oh, recording. Yeah. Maybe you are the winner of the Game of Thrones. We'll get to the final episode this week <laughs> and it'll be uh, Tony Kynaston sitting on the Iron Throne. Yeah, well, don't give me any spoilers because I haven't been able to watch the last couple since I've been down here. You haven't, um, you haven't missed much. It's been terrible. Oh, really? God, oh, that's a shame. Terrible. That's a shame. Yeah, the writing's completely fallen off this week, uh, this oh, season. No. I mean, just silly. Silly. Anyway. Well, George R.R. R. Martin, I guess, has deviated from his script, haven't they? So maybe that's the reason. Yeah. Anyway, people didn't tune in to listen to us talk about Game of Thrones. Uh, let's talk about Game of Coal, Tony. Yeah, so... One of the shares or the stocks that I want us to analyse is called Stanmore Coal and it's obviously a coal company and I thought given that we're going to analyse a coal company and the share price has been going up so it's been a good investment and perhaps we'll be going forward, I thought we should spend this uh, time on this episode talking about ethical investing and uh, I thought I mean, I can, I can talk about it from my point of view. I wondered whether you had any questions, first of all, about ethical investing, and maybe I'd like to know what you think ethical investing means. Hmm. When I'm thinking about investing, my priority is obviously to build an investment portfolio for myself and my family. But at the same time, I want to be able to do that in a way that's consistent with my ethics and values. And I think think that would mean I want to invest in companies because investing, I'm taking an ownership or part ownership in uh, that company, in companies that are not doing uh, undue harm to the, the environment, to the community, to people that have a good ethical track record. But at the same time, I think, wow, just, how do I even do that? It's going to be difficult to navigate. It would be nice if there was some sort of... Uh, a guide or indicators or some sort of uh, filtering mechanism that would make that... It's hard enough for me to sit down and go through all of these financials to find a company that is a good investment according to your methodology, let alone to also have to go and figure out who is ethically, morally uh, responsible and has integrity or not. So I would be hoping that there's some sort of a, a benchmark that I would be able to look at that would make that easy for me. Yeah, I, don't, I haven't come across a benchmark. I don't think there is. I know, there are certainly ethical investors out there and they publish their own benchmarks or their own screening processes. So you could perhaps use that. I think the key point for me is, and you said it, it's, it's different for different people. So I, I have owned coal stocks uh, in the past. I don't think I own any now. I have owned them up until recently. And my feelings on coal is that it's undeniably a contributor to climate change. Uh, and therefore, you've got to be very careful about what you invest in. But I also don't want to be hypocritical because coal comes in two, two varieties. One is used for powering power stations, and that's called thermal coal. And that's probably the bigger polluter. And the other one's called coking coal, which is used to make steel. So they're both polluters, uh, but I think oh, I'd have to probably do some more research, but I think the thermal side is probably worse than the coking side in terms of pollution. I could have that wrong. 
But certainly, you know, I would feel hypocritical sitting here talking to you on a, a MacBook uh, with a microphone and a, using an iPhone and all that um, in, a, in a place that's made of steel to then say, I'm not going to invest in a coal company because it's going to be used in the production of steel. So I guess that's the first point for me. And, and secondly, I'm not so sure that the supply side is the way to tackle these problems, like, like for example, climate change. I think it's, it's for me, the, the tackling of it comes from the demand side. And, and what I mean by that, you would have come across this in your, your episodes on the, the drug wars, the war on drugs in the States. What Tony's referring to here is one of my other podcasts, The Bullshit Filter, where we take contemporary issues and we drill down on the data like we did one big series on uh, the Syrian civil war. We've done one on the war on drugs. Um, We've done one on gun control here and in the United States and in some different countries. Recently did one on anti-vaccination claims. So you can check that out at thebullshitfilter.com. So you don't solve it by arresting the the leader of a drug cartel because someone else is going to pop up and replace them. You solve it by decriminalising drugs and having safe injection rooms and helping the people lower their demand for the product. And I think the same thing happens with with coal. And I think it is happening with coal. I I sent you an article which we can include on the website and in the newsletter. My feeling is that, and this article says this, we've probably seen the last coal plant built in the world, or, or if we haven't seen it, we're going to see it soon. I know that I read another article recently which said that Britain for the first time ever last week, uh, had all its power supplied by other means rather than, rather than coal and looked like by, I think, the end of next year being completely weaned off coal power in terms of... Uh, or coal in terms of powering electricity in the UK. That's... I mean, that's happening more and more across countries. Um, I don't think we'll see another coal-powered power plant in Australia. But by the same token, we have to balance the, the need for electricity until the sustainables come along, the wind and, and solar and the battery technology ramps up and, and comes along. So if you were someone who was really gung-ho about climate change, and I, I know there are people who are out there, and you're also, I think, you know, less hypocritical than a lot of people, and, and you, you weren't driving a car and you weren't flying an airplane and you weren't living in a steel and cement building and you said I don't want to invest in coal that's fine you probably want to take a positive stance in investing companies that were building alternative infrastructure and one of those which I invest in is a company called Infratil and they uh, they run some some uh, big solar and wind farms uh, so so you're expanding you're expanding that source of energy which would eventually crimp the the need for coal uh, so that's probably one way to do it I personally haven't been as gung-ho about not owning coal shares only because I think, A, it's, 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 it's a declining uh, use or a declining electricity producer, uh, and B, I think uh, it's, it's a little bit hypocritical for me anyway to say uh, I'm not going to own coal shares when I still drive a car and fly on the plane. And even when I do that, like I drive a diesel car with a Bluetech engine so it listens to the carbon emissions and I try and... I always buy the carbon offsets when I fly and those kinds of things. But as you said, you know, number one, I'm for, uh, firstly trying to invest for my family and, and our future. And 
And secondly, then I'm weighing up the impacts of, of the ethics of it. Um, coal has been a difficult one for me. I think in terms of my ethical framework, I wouldn't invest in a tobacco company, for example, and I wouldn't invest in a, a, a gun manufacturer. Um, but both of those industries aren't listed on the ASX, so they've, they've, uh, either, they're either not present here in Australia or they have privatised. And one of the interesting things about this as well is that when the tobacco companies that were listed in Australia privatised, uh, they actually, A, they made more money because B, they went into the third world and, and expanded there and, and got a lot more people hooked on smoking than were um, available to them in Australia. And one of the reasons they could do that is they didn't have the scrutiny of a listed investment, uh, which often makes it easier to shine a light on these companies and what they're doing. If they're private, they're, they're pretty much invisible um, to most of the, well, yeah, to most of the investing public and probably to most of the general public. So has that made sense, Cam? I've probably been a bit convoluted there, but that's that's how I approach these things. Yeah, well, <clears throat> of course, you and I have been working on this book about psychopaths, and there's a big section in the book where I drill down on how, do, how does one determine one's ethics and values and to make sure that you're not participating in behaviours inside of the workplace or as an investor, I guess, that um, uh, are not aligned with your ethics and values. And one of the, the the starting point is to work out what your ethics and values are. And I think that's some, that's a process that I found incredibly difficult when working on the book. I thought it would be easy and it wasn't. And then I went and interviewed people who are experts in uh, ethics like uh, Julian Burnside QC and the guy who runs the St. James Ethics Centre in Sydney and ask them how easy it would be for them to sit down and write down a list of their ethics and where they derive them from. And they both said, no, it'd be really difficult. Uh, and these these guys talk about this stuff for a living. But I think we need to start there. And of course, it, it is difficult when you live in a society. I have to use electronic products. I have to use steel. I have to use electricity unless I want to go live in the backwoods of uh, and you know be self-sufficient, which I don't have the capabilities of doing. So uh, it's a trade-off. You know, you're constantly trying to minimize the damage that you are personally participating in, I think. Uh, yeah, when I buy an iPhone, I know that components of it are made in sweatshops in China. Um, I know that those people, though, are earning money from doing that, which they might not otherwise have, but that their uh, working conditions probably aren't as good as I would want them to be. But it's a trade-off. You try and minimise the damage that you're doing while making your way through the world and uh, looking after yourself and your family. Yeah, look, I agree. And I think I think one of the things about, if I just bring it back to coal again, is uh, if I buy shares in a coal company, I'm not necessarily... The money doesn't go to the coal company, so I'm not necessarily you know, making the world use more coal. Um, I guess it's different if the company was raising money in the initial uh, public offering or if they were going to open a new coal mine and they did a capital raising for it and you, you paid them directly for it. So it's probably a technicality, but there is that. I think, if, I think I'd be, in some instances, happy to buy shares in a coal company that was an existing player um, and was using existing mines. And I'd probably think twice about it if I was investing in a new, uh, a new player who was opening up new mines. I think that, that to me, is, is possibly crossing the bounds of my ethics. And I know it's, it's a technical argument, 
But uh, that's how I would approach that. Uh, the other side of this thing is, of course, is that you could almost make a case that every company that you come across has, has got some kind of ethical taint to it. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Apple, which has been a, a you know, seriously good investment for people uh, in the last, say, 10 to 20 years. And that's, that has its problems. I mean, most of their products are made of aluminium, which is a huge user of electricity to, to smelt the bauxite and make aluminium. Uh, and in fact, I think Apple has just partnered up with Berkshire Hathaway and someone in Canada to try and find a different way of producing aluminium that doesn't use so much electricity. Hmm. So they're aware of the problem. Uh, not, and also the one that you mentioned about the sweatshops at Qualcomm in, the, in China. But, you know, think about it even every day. Sorry, I thank you. But also think about, say, the banks in Australia. I mean, they've just gone through the ringer with, the, mm-hmm. with the, their ethical behaviour. So do you stop investing in banks? Mm. Um, think about Woolworths or the supermarkets. I mean, they run big transport fleets uh, of, of trucks delivering to their stores. Mm-hmm. Plus they have large electricity bills. If you, if you sort of took a very hard line beyond this, it would be very hard to find someone who uh, you could invest in Unless they were positively uh, investing in things like coal, uh, sorry, things like solar power or, or wind energy or batteries or something like that, maybe a Tesla, and then you run the risk of, um, you know, I wouldn't say Tesla was a great investment because it, it's running at a loss. Well, in the in the book, I remember writing about B corporations, B corps. Well, I think we talked a little bit about that at some point in the past. You're familiar with B Corps, I believe? So are they the ones that uh, have a triple bottom line or a quadruple bottom line? Yeah, they sign up to, uh, I guess, some sort of a, a contract where they're going to consider, well, here's the website from bcorporation.com.au that monitors this. Certified B companies are a new kind of business that balances purpose and profit. They are legally required to consider the impact of their decisions on their workers, customers, suppliers, community, and the environment. This is a community of leaders driving of a global movement of people using businesses as a force for good. Driving of a global movement. I think somebody needs to uh, proofread the copy on their website. (laughs) I think it should just be driving a global movement. I might contact them after this and uh, be that guy. Um, But yeah, like if there's a list of businesses like this that have signed up to build ethical practices and beyond the lip service that every business pays to it these days, but are generally trying to hold themselves to a higher standard, then I would feel good about investing in companies, supporting those companies how I can. But at the end of the time, at the end of the day, we're looking for good investments as well as ethical investments. You know, one of the th- one of the issues for me in the last five or six years in my marketing business is I have clients that are in the mining industry that are in coal mining. I've done a lot of work in the coal mining industry, so you know, even in that in that sense, I have to decide: well, am I going to take their money, or am I not going to pay the rent this week? And you know, that's an ethical decision, which is relatively easy to make. But yeah, yeah, but also too, I mean, I think we have to be a bit realistic. I mean, we need mining companies. Uh, you know, they support our standard of living. Yeah, we, we you know, drive cars and we build roads and we uh, use cement and all those kinds of things. So we do need them. I think it's it's probably too big a, big a sieve to say I'm not going to invest in mining companies because they might be impacting on uh, global warming. I think you have to drill down a bit further than that. Mm. Uh, 
Yeah. But I'm just looking at the B Corp website, and the first company they've got listed there is Ben & Jerry's. Mm-hmm. I mean, for, for Christ's sake, they... <laughs> Did you see Super Size Me? I mean, they were, uh, you know, they're full of sugar in their, uh, so <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure that they're, they're the big corporation certification. I'm, I'm sceptical about things like certification like that. I wouldn't be surprised if, if we tra- like drilled down and we found out that, say, the Australian banks were signed up for that because I know that they've done a lot of work on triple bottom line and trying to show them, themselves to be ethical which, of course, has just blown up in their face in the last six months with the Hay Royal Commission. Yeah. Where they've, uh, they're having to refund people's, you know, I think it's a, I think the total now is something like, it's either $10 billion amongst all the banks or it's projected to be $10 billion. So that's an awful lot of money that they've taken from people without providing a service or mm. in some kind of conflictive way. Mm. Uh, and also, too, I'm sceptical. Like, for example, uh, there's a company called Rio in Australia. It's a it's an iron ore miner, but it has owned coal companies in the past, and it's done a lot of work in the last couple of years to try and engage with uh, activist investors on their share register who have been continuously raising motions at the AGM of Rio to uh, improve Rio's performance when it comes to climate change. So Rio bit the bullet and sold their their coal division last year and now they're trumpeting themselves as being you know a good corporate citizen in terms of climate change but you know again for for goodness sake they sold the coal companies to somebody else those coal companies still exist and they're still producing coal and still being burnt and the carbon's going into the atmosphere so i don't see how rio gets a you know a pass in terms of good corporate corporate citizenship when it comes to climate change simply by selling the coal companies if they had a covered them in, I would have said, yeah, okay, tick. But they didn't. They just sold them and said, aren't we great? So, mm. you know, I think, I think you've got to be very careful in, in this space, both in terms of being sceptic, sceptical about those who hold themselves out as being good corporate citizens and also I think a bit more inquiring about what looks like a good investment but maybe in an industry that that has, you know, faced some... Faced some uh, negative publicity when it comes to things like climate change. Tony, you're not suggesting fact, you're not suggesting that people running these businesses would say <laughs> they're doing one thing but secretly be doing something else and trying to hide it, would you? What 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 would you call a kind of person like that, Tony? A C Corp. I'll tell you I'm not gonna say what the C stands for. <laughs> not a B Corp, but oh, a C Corp. Okay. <laughs> no, a psychopath, absolutely. Maybe maybe we should just set up a psychopath certification company. And, that's uh, that's the premise of my television show, man. That's, that's right, what I want yeah. to do. Yeah. Uh, if you didn't hear our last episode with Joe Barberis, I think I talked about the idea I have for a TV show that I'm pitching at the moment, based on the book, the uh, Psychopath Economy that Tony and I wrote over the last few years. Idea for the TV show is that I and a psychiatrist uh, travel around the world interview business leaders, political leaders, military police, religious leaders, and get them to set the psychopath test live on camera to try and determine how many of the world's leaders are actually clinical psychopaths and sociopaths. And then we can figure out what do we do about that. Give them a koala stamp if they pass the psychopath test. (laughs) 
Yeah, no, look, it, it is very difficult. And, you know, I often wonder about our children's generation. Uh, you know, you and I both have kids that are in their late teens. Uh, they're, they're adults and they're very ethical people and they're Ooh. deeply concerned about the environment and uh, the treatment of minorities and all that kind of stuff. And what kind of impact that generation will have on things like the fossil fuel industry over the next 10, 20 years? Or will they be like teenagers in the 60s who were uh, protesting about all sorts of stuff when they were hippies and then they cut their hair off and put a suit on and are probably running uh, Ben and Jerry's now? <laughs> and mining companies. Oh, look, I, quite, quite possibly. And I, I'll put my hand up and say I was a bit like that. I'm probably a lot more pragmatic now than I was when I was, you know, a kid's age. I was a lot more, I was running around a lot more protesting against things than I am now and probably wouldn't have touched the coal investment back then and been a lot more black and white about it. But I think the world's a more nuanced place than that. And as you said before, we're trying to balance our, our income generation with our ethics and it's not always easy. Speaking of uh, your younger days, we're recording this on the Friday the 17th of May 2019. Bob Hawke died yesterday. What are your thoughts on Bob? Oh, what an amazing Australian and an amazing human being. I mean, oh, it's, it's <laughs> you know, the first thing that comes to mind is you compare a leader like that to the current crop we have now and it's chalk and cheese. I mean, the guy was a Rhodes Scholar, a very smart person, came up through the ACTU you know, would would go into the uh, Wages Arbitration Commission and stand on his feet for five days straight, talk non-stop about, you know, the need for, you know, a wage increase or holiday leave loading or whatever and be very successful at it and then took that into the Prime Ministership and, with Paul Keating, just changed the whole face of Australia for the better, took the tariffs away, floated the dollar made the economy much more flexible. And that's just on the economic side, but he, he was a great environmentalist. He, he single-handedly signed up most of the countries in the world to ban mining in, in Antarctica. Uh, he stopped the dams from being built in, the, in Tasmania at Gordon below Franklin. I mean, so many things that he did. He was just an amazing human being and, and also a man of the people, just such a great... You know, we talk about populist people leading countries now, <laughs> they might act like a populist leader, but they're not very popular, whereas Hawke was. I mean, in his day, I think when he became Prime Minister, his popularity was like at about 75%. And uh, I met him once and shook his hand, but didn't, didn't really talk to him. But when you see the guy up close, he's, you know, he's fit, tanned, has this huge mane of wavy white hair, <laughs> um, larrikin smile on his face. I mean, he really was a man of the people, very impressive person. And, yeah, very sorry to see him go. Mm. Um, he, he did a lot of good for Australia. Yeah, he had a good innings, 89, not bad. For a yeah. man who was renowned as the country's greatest alcoholic for many years, uh, that's not a bad innings. He was. And I just finished reading a book called Wednesdays with Bob by a guy called Riley as well, coincidentally. And, uh, you know, he's, he's obviously had his, his demons and his bad side. He divorced his wife and he was a he, he was a bit of a ladies' man or a lot of a ladies' man in his younger days and, a philanderer, so and an alcoholic, so he had his his troubled sides, uh, and you don't want to just put push that aside. But I think you know when I when I read about that and hear the stories, it makes him more of a human being almost. He's, he's not a saint, mm. but he 
he battled through all that and still did a, a really good job for Australia. So very impressive person. And the cover of that book has Bob smoking a cigar. And as a cigar smoker, it's one of the things I always liked about Bob. You always saw him with a cigar in his mouth. Yep. He, he enjoyed it. <laughs> and, and lived to 89. Yes, that's right. Hmm. Okay, well, uh, there you go. That's Bob. That's ethics. I think it's getting to that time where we should start to drill down into our stock of the week, Stanmore Coal. I did want to make one more point about uh, ethical investing, and that's to issue a bit of a warning, and and that is that there are some funds out there who say that they're ethically uh, ethical investment funds, and they probably are, but... There are good ones and there are so-so ones. And I remember years ago, my stockbroker saying to me that he loved ethical investing because he could set up a fund and take about half a dozen stocks out of the index and then just buy the rest, buy the index and charge people twice the fees because they are prepared to pay up for an an ethical investor. And so I just wanted to warn people to be careful of that. Um, if If you look at the Australian share market and take out a couple of coal companies and take out maybe the gambling companies and Maybe you also want to take out the one listed wine company. Um, you could say that the rest is an ethical investment fund. And if that's the fund you're looking at, just make sure they're not giving you the index with a few companies taken out and charging you more than an index fee. Mm. Um, I guess the ones you might want to look at are the ones that may have a concentrated portfolio and a positive screen. So they're investing in solar farms or wind farms or companies that you know, may, uh, may make, say, for example, uh, ethical clothing or something like that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, just be careful. Mm. All right, good tip. So Stanmore Coal has had a terrific run in the last sort of nine months, I think. It's a, it's a coal company. It's, uh, I think it's based, it's also an exploration company, so it has some coal mines that are working. And it also has a couple of tenements which look particularly, uh, you know, the potential for them seems pretty good. Uh, and it looks like uh, I think it's got about half a dozen different either mines or or tenements that it's uh, drilling to, to see just how good they are, they will be. And they're all in Australia and they're a mix of both coking and thermal coal. So I just wanted to, to outline that up front. So again, if you're if you're someone who doesn't want to invest um, in coal companies, this Stanmore coal may not be for you. It does have coking coal, but it also has thermal coal. And I also wanted, I probably should have said before during our ethical investment section, I mean, something like coal may turn out to be the contrarian investment of our, of our times, really, uh, because a company like Stanmore Coal is, has what the share price has gone up two or three times. In the last twelve months, whilst you know, whilst being in this environment of people being unsure whether they want to invest in coal or not, so since two thousand and fifteen, June two thousand and fifteen, the share or actually I'll go back a month, yeah, June two thousand and fifteen, the share price was six cents, Jesus, and it's now a dollar forty. Wow, yeah, so a huge, huge upturn, and that's the interesting thing I found about coal in the market. Whenever I talk to if I come across fund managers or people who I, I know are other investors and talk about coal, they say the same thing, you know. We start off being very pure about it, then we see it run up and we think, geez, we'd better look at this and can we live with it? And then they jump on board. So this is kind of contrarian sort of investment where you can, if you get in early, you can you can sort of ride the wave up as people capitulate and start to buy as well. So uh, everyone listening uh, at home, grab your 
grab your spreadsheet, grab your pen, your paper. We're going to get into the numbers and see if my numbers match up with Tony's numbers, which they usually don't. So let's <laughs> and we'll try and get the numbers right this week, Hamish. Hamish picked up a, a problem in our numbers a couple of weeks ago. So let's get into the numbers with these guys. Um, net cash flow. Now, I, mm-hmm. I uh, went and got the uh, half-yearly report, uh, did all my maths. I've come up with just over $15 million for the net um, cash flow. Okay. Let me just have a look what I've got. So I'm using Stock Doctor here. Oh, no, I've got $41.1 million. Jesus Christ. We're already <laughs> off that. <laughs> yeah, so... Hold on. That- I... I actually was. I actually ended up adding up the bottom figures from um, Yahoo Finance. They've got the uh, cash flow tab here for the last four quarters. Uh, you got Yahoo Finance there? Yeah, I'm just opening it now. So okay. SMR for people playing at home live, by the way. I'll put all the links in our show notes and the email and that kind of stuff. But in case you doing it before you get that uh, SMR is the stock code for Stam or Coal yeah I just noticed in Yahoo Finance the share price has dropped 2% today so they must know we're looking at it (laughs) (laughs) yeah how's Maya doing I looked yesterday it was uh, down 11% since we looked at it yeah it'll bounce around I think it'll be fine oh it's it's jumped up a bit actually since then it's uh, only down 8.5% now, so, you know, that's all right. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> okay, where are we? I guess the other thing, too, uh, we should talk about just briefly is that we're at that stage in the year where companies are going to start ruling off their financial years in a month's time, and then they get uh, a month to pull the figures, and then come August, they'll be giving us new figures. So investing now is you got to just be careful because uh, we're basing it on figures that are now five months old. And uh, if, if a company had a good result five months ago, the share price has gone up like Meyer and Stanmore Coal have. Uh, so we're you know, probably playing a waiting game for those prices to come down a bit or to wait and see what the new figures are like. So we do need to be a bit careful investing at this time of the year as well. Yeah. By the way, Mitchell Services has gone up uh, 16.5% since we talked about it <laughs> two weeks ago. That hurts. That, I mean, that hurts, doesn't it? I mean, we said we were going to be disciplined and not buy it, and then it goes up. Oh, well. It'll come down at some stage. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so back to Yahoo Finance. So um, in the financials section under the cash flow tab, quarterly figures – I've got uh, so there's net income. I scroll right down, and I've got total cash flow from uh, well from investment, total cash flow yeah. from operating, total cash flow from financing, and down then down the very bottom change in cash and cash equivalents. Okay, so the problem I'm getting with looking at this is that it's all for 2018. Right, isn't that what we want? We're doing the last 12 months of reported figures. Oh, actually, uh, hang on. You're right. No, sorry, you're right. We are. We don't have June yet for this year. Or we, we, if you're doing quarterly, we should have figures for March in, but I'm not seeing them in Yahoo Finance. 
March 2019. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So I've got the last four reported quarters, well, yeah, that mm-hmm. Yahoo have anyway. Um, the thing that and the figures, sorry, the figures look strange for September and December because they're the same. Well, so are the figures for June and oh, March. Yeah. So I, I was going to yeah. ask you about that. Is that weird? Because <laughs> it looked weird to me. All the figures <laughs> yes. are like they've been cut, <laughs> cut and pasted. Yeah, it looks weird to me too, I agree. Right. So yeah, I don't know what to I don't know what to make of that, sorry. <laughs> it looks like a budget. Somebody's going, Yeah, I reckon we'll do about that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So then does. so I look at the financial data in Reuters then and see how that matches up. Um, they don't enable me to drill down with the historical stuff that much. Um, it's got sales, earnings. Have you tried going to the Stanmore Coal website and seeing what they've produced? Yeah, I've got... The uh, half yearly report and the annual report before that. So let me pull up the half yearly report. Here we go. So uh, on their half yearly report, cash flow is on page, no page number, but it's page two, top of page two. During the half year to the 31st December 2018, total net cash flow of 12.474 million was recorded, which maps to the uh, bottom numbers in Yahoo. Six right. two three seven times two twelve point four. Yeah, I did check that at the time. Mm-hmm. And somebody in Yahoo has just uh, divided that number in half and put <laughs> half in each quarter or something. <laughs> so yeah, good one, Microsoft. Yep. So their half yearly report says total net cash inflow of twelve point four seven four million. So half yearly. So what's the date on that? Is it December or is it March? December. And you have what, sorry? Their half yearly to December is $12.474 million. Okay, well, see, that's strange because uh, Stock Doctor has $27.479 million for the half for operating cash flow. We're talking operating cash flow here? Uh, no, I'm taking uh, investment activities and financing activities into account as well. Yes, if mm. I just take from operating activities, you're right, 27 odd million. Okay. Yeah. Ah. So we just we do, we do, we want to ignore the losses they made in investment because that took a big yes, chunk out. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. We do. Okay. Operating only ignore investment, etc. Okay. So if I take these four numbers, so so just on that, Cameron, just so we're clear. If we have a look at the investing cash flows, that negative number there was capital that was ex- was ex- was spent. Yeah. Uh, which yeah, so they either spent that developing a mine or they've replaced their equipment or something like that. I would imagine. Right. Uh, yeah, which is kind of normal procedure for a mining company, and it looks like they've used their operating cash to do that, which is you know they haven't po- quite possibly haven't gone out and borrowed. Right. Um, Oh, no, they have. Sorry, I'm just looking at the financing cash flow. So they borrowed $22 million. Right. Yeah. But anyway, it's one of the reasons why I look at the operating cash flow. It's the cash that's coming in the door that's important. And then it's up, you know, it's up to the quality of the management about how they use that cash that, uh, that we need to look at. But it's not as important as the operating cash coming in. All right. So now I've got $41.16 million. That's the one, yeah. All right. 41.16, yeah. 
Okay, operating only. Okay. Thank you, Yahoo Finance. Those numbers are still the same. They've still got even numbers for those quarters, but I uh, guess it all works out in the end. Yeah. Number of shares on issue according to the annual report. That's a big number. Let me put some commas in there. 251.8 million. Yeah, that's I've got a more up-to-date one in Stock Doctor of 252.828 million. Okay. So that number you just read out, Stock Doctor is saying was the case at June last year. Yes, that was in the annual report. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. Will that make a huge difference to our final figures, do you think? Not really, no. And uh, you probably find that Yahoo or someone like that would have the latest shares on issue as well, or the ASX will probably okay. have the latest shares on issue. Yeah. Uh, okay. Cash per share, then I'm getting about 16.3 cents. Yours is going to be slightly different. Yeah, I do. I got 16 cents as well. Okay. So then share price is $1.40 as of today, the 17th of May, and that makes our share price to cash per share $8.56. Yes, over $8.66. That's right. Okay. So that's a little bit high. I think this will probably work out to be a bit like uh, Mitchell Services again. It's probably, if we had done this a bit earlier, the price would have, you know, price to cash flow may have been in the six range and now it's in the eight range. Yeah, okay. Or the the 0.08, yeah. Well, let's keep going in the data collection anyway, see where we end up. Now, the sentiment, share price graph, three-point trend line, positive. Very. Dividend yield, I got 3.5. Yep, me too. Okay, the PE, I've got 19.14. I got 14.5. In Yahoo, I've got trailing PE 18.42. Got my last number from Reuters, though. <laughs> Let me go into the ASX website and see if that helps. So Reuters is giving me the PE TTM as 19.14, trailing 12 months. Okay. So that would be the right figure? What did you have, sorry? 19.14. No, I mean, I'm, I'm just saying TTM. Right. The trailing 12 months is the number we'd be looking for for the PE. There's no, no problem with that, apart from the fact the numbers are wrong. <laughs> it should be right, yeah. We're not doing it for the Ford EPS. So it's, it should be the earnings per share for the last 12 months over the current price. Yeah, over the current price, like today's price? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, you would think Reuters would be calculating that, wouldn't you? Mm. On the fly? That's TTM. Unless Stock Doctor's just doing it for the current EPS the last six months. Oh, so we get right. a calculate. Let's look at that calculation and check. So they've got 9.6 cents a share is the earnings per share, and the price is $1.40. Well, Yahoo's given me a slightly different figure anyway, but it's lower than Reuters, but not as low as Stock Doctor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Stock Doctor's just taking the most, the six monthly EPS which is 9.6 cents. Right. Yeah. So Stock Doctor is only doing a six monthly PE. Well, that's the one I've been using, so that's the one we should use going forward, I guess. So not the training 12 months, but the current EPS six months. Trying to figure out how I'm going to get that off of Yahoo or um, Reuters. Well, Yahoo or Reuters should have the current earnings per share, shouldn't it? The most recent data. Yeah, I'm looking for it. Okay. <laughs> How are you calculating earnings again? Just net income? Yeah, net profit. Net profit. 
Net profit after tax. So if I calculate this manually... Oh, that's really time-consuming, isn't it? Yeah. I'm getting a price to earnings then of about 16.57. But I'm getting 14.5. Yeah. You said your earnings per share is different, though. Yeah, I've got uh, 9.6 cents, so 0.096. Right. I wonder if that's because you've got more shares on issue. Yeah, uh, could be, yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to leave my numbers as they are and see how it plays out. Where did you find the half-yearly report? Uh, it's, on the AS, it's on the ASX's website. I'll just put it in the Skype chat window for you. Hold on. Okay. Uh, so sometimes we'll tell you what the earnings per share is. No, it's not there. Okay. Sorry. Dead end. All right. Let's just keep going with what we've got. Yep. Sure. Gives me a PE of 16.57. Yours is a little bit lower. Mm-hmm. Now, I can't, I can't get the previous... PE from Reuters or Yahoo easily. Um, do you have some previous PEs? Yeah, so Stock Doctor has the last four, and before that, the company wasn't making a profit, so it didn't have a PE. And are but you looking at the PE, last four halves now or the last four annuals? Yes, last four halves. Yep. And they go 5.7, 7.6, 36.7, 10.3, and then the current is 14.5. So it's not the lowest. It's probably in the mid-range, so it doesn't score for our, our checklist there. All right, net equity. I'm getting this mm-hmm. from Reuters, net tangible assets. I took quarterly numbers and added them up. I've got about $87 million just over. Yeah, I've got 90.5. Okay, close enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I've got net equity per share of $0.34, cents, $0.3457. How's your yes, I've got 30, 35.8 cents. Okay, close enough. Which gives mm-hmm. me a price-to-book ratio of 305%. Yeah, that's right. Yep, I'm at 285, but we're way out without checklist on that one. So uh, NPAT, net income, last six months, uh, 21, as we said before, 0.2 million. Earnings per share is about 8.5 cents. Return on equity, earnings divided by equity, I got 24%. I got, yeah, stock doctor is saying 29.6%. Okay. Yep. I've got a future earnings per share of about three and a, 3.7 cents. No, stock doctor is saying it's actually 37.2 cents. Oh, God damn it. So just be careful there. If you're using Reuters to get this number as I was – over on the uh, analysts tab on Reuters, about halfway down the page under consensus estimates, anal- uh, consensus, bleh, consensus estimates analysis, it's got the uh, earnings per share and it says 37.15. And I-, I made this mistake a couple of weeks ago when we did Mitchell Services. Even though it doesn't really explain it there, that is uh, in cents, 37.15 cents. I think I added too many decimal points to the front of it this time. I overdid it. So I get my first intrinsic value, uh, 43 cents. Right, uh, 49 cents, but that's just a difference in some of those figures, I think. Yeah. And my yep. future EPS, my IV2, $4.95. Spot on, I had 4.96, yep. Okay, 
So, checklist time. Um, is it a star stock on Stock Doctor? No. I um, I did it manually using the way that we talked about a few episodes oh, okay. ago, financial strength table on Reuters uh, plus the return on equity and the EPS. I, I, got, I gave it 29%. So, yeah, right. it, it, it sort of failed there. Yeah, okay. Um, is it an A1, B2 on share analysis? I'm assuming no. No, it is actually. It's a B2. Really? Wow. Mm. So it gets a one for that on our yep. checklist? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Is the share price beneath the Stock Doctor intrinsic value? Stock Doctor doesn't have a share price, but it has a consensus share price, and it is. The consensus share price is $1.50. So I looked at the Yahoo consensus share price. It was $1.30. Let me just have a look at Stock Doctor and see who it's using. And the share price is above that. Yes, that's right. Whereas I'm saying $1.50. It's saying $1.55 now, and... It tells me that it's using two analysts to come to that number. doesn't tell me who those analysts are, though. Right. Yeah, so uh, Yahoo Finance says it's using two as well, and it says <laughs> it says $1.30. Mm. You, can, you can give yours a one. I'm giving it a zero. Fuck them, man. Uh, they didn't do it. <laughs> Is the share price beneath the share analysis intrinsic value? No, it's not. Yeah, it's still a six insurance analysis. Right. Uh, is it below my intrinsic value if I use a 19.5% hurdle rate? No, that was 43 cents, so no, it's not below that. Mm-hmm. Is it below my 7.5%? Yes. You try, man. Yeah, it is. Giving it a one there, not a two? Oh, a one. A one? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Price to book, is the share price less than 30% above the net equity per share? Well, the net equity per share we said is $0.35. Cents. Share mm-hmm. price is $1.40. The difference is $1.05. That's a 305% increase. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, yeah. no, it's a zero. Nope. Does the yep. share price have a positive trend? Very much so, and it gets a two. Correct. That's right. is, is it the lowest PE in the last three years? No, it's currently 14.6. So it gets a zero. Growth of earnings per share over the PE, I've got 0.177. You want it to be higher than 1.5. Mm-hmm. So it gets a zero? So, no, it gets a one. What? So so the growth, so the, the future earnings per share is 37.2. Yeah. The current earnings per share is 9.6. Yeah. So that's 27.5 difference. Put that over 9.6, the current earning per share, and the growth is 285%. Yeah. And then divide that by the PE, which I use 14.6, and I get 24.83, and we only want 1.5. There's huge growth there. So what we worked out over the uh, next few minutes <laughs> when we were recording this is you remember back when I was uh, going through Yahoo Finance looking earlier on in the episode at their revenue numbers, and for some reason, Yahoo Finance has just taken their uh, half revenue numbers and divided them evenly uh, into um, quarters. So uh, as it turns out, according to Stock Doctor, their revenue has actually been growing a lot quarter on quarter, half on half. So the, the problem I, I found with this one is the Yahoo numbers aren't reliable when it comes to measuring things like this uh, kind of growth. And so Tony concluded, 
Um, you gotta you gotta pay up for a stock doctor subscription and just make it easy on yourself too. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. This is a nightmare. Ooh. All right, uh, where were we? So consistently increasing equity gets a zero on our checklist. Okay. Is the PE less than the yield? No. No, correct. Is the dividend yield higher than the mortgage rate? No. No, correct. Is the financial health from the subscription services stable or increasing, Tony? It is. It's increasing. So we give, them a, give this one a two. So in Stock Doctor, it's gone from satisfactory to strong. Okay. I looked on some other like investment sites and it's getting strong buy signals from a lot of sites. Everyone's excited yeah. about it. Yeah, and probably on the basis of the share price going up so strongly too. Yeah, right. Yeah. Is my forecast intrinsic value more than two times the current share price? No. Yeah. Ah, oh, shit, yes. Yes. Yes, it's 4.95 to 1.4. Yep, that's right. Look for the most undervalued of the top 10. It's not in the top 10. Are you just nulling that out? I am, yeah. Okay. Is the price per share divided by the cash per share less than or equal to 6? Um, no. I've got 8.56. Right, that's right. Hmm. Uh, is the CEO an owner founder? Well, well tricky this one. Ahead. I couldn't. Yeah, I saw it was so founded too. in 2008, but I couldn't find by whom. Mm. So, well, I did. Stock Doctor gives us a listing of the shares held by the board members. Yeah. And one of the directors has about 10.4 million shares or 3% of the company. So, so you're assuming he's a founder? Yeah, I am actually. I, I couldn't find out much about him uh, and whether he actually is the founder. But given there's someone on the board with a big stake, I'm going to give it a, a two. Oh, okay. Yeah, I thought it, it was weird. I went through all their company information and everything online, could not Wikipedia, couldn't mm. find anything about who created it. No, I couldn't either. And also, too, when I looked at the sharehold, like the top shareholdings, there are companies, uh, and it's quite possible that some of the directors own those companies, which are the largest shareholders. Yeah, I tried right. to do some research into those, but I couldn't work it out. But, but for me, seeing a director with a, a large shareholding was enough to give it a good score. Okay. Somebody with a big ownership who has their hands on the wheel. Yeah. And exactly. is the intrinsic value going up in the future according to share analysis? It is, yeah. All right. Well, my total score then is going to be, I get a 63%. What do you yeah, get? Yeah, so do I. So. Right. So not mm-hmm. higher than 75%. Basically, mm-hmm. it's, it's overpriced. Yeah, exactly. So if we take the 63% and divide by the price to cash flow of 8.66, I'm getting an overall score of 0.073. Yeah, me too. So we're looking at it too late, you'd say? Yeah, it's got to go on the wait list. Yeah. And it's actually shot ahead. So when I first started talking about doing this one with you, it was giving me a 0.1 when the share price was 10 or 20 cents lower. But it's jumped up in the last sort of week to 10 days. Wow. Yeah, it's hot. It's hot. It's hot, baby. It's hot. <laughs> uh, well, we, there you go. That is our analysis of Stan Moore Coal. It's hot. But uh, a bit late for a bit late for you. Yeah, so a bit late for me. I I put it on the watch list again. If it drops down twenty cents a share, which it could, I'd have another look at it. 
Yeah. And certainly I'll, I'll do some analysis on it when the uh, new reporting numbers come out in August. And then we will be back next week with, uh, if everything goes to plan anyway, our uh, big big uh, guest, uh, Mr. Alan Kohler. Correct, yeah. Looking forward to that. That should be great. And you'll you'll have a towel over your head. <laughs> uh, no, I won't. Will you be sitting in a room that's uh, slightly less echoey than your dining room? I, I can try, yeah. Well, That'd the problem is the other, the other room up here, the study is as big as... <laughs> yes, I have to go down and sit in the bedroom. I can sit in the bathroom, but things would echo in there as well, so that's not going to work. <laughs> yeah. Well, you sit in your car. Just take it out to your car. Sit in your car. <laughs> I could. All right. Thanks, yeah, mate. Yeah. Enjoy yourself. Okay. Good luck with good luck with the golf, and um, I'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Cam. See you, mate. Well, that's the QAV Club edition for this week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing. As always, uh, according to the lawyers, I have to let you know we are not a financial advisory service. If you're looking for financial advice, go see a financial advisor. We're just here to teach the way that Tony does it may or may not be right for you. And we'll be back next week with Alan Kohler. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.